like Russell uh, has said, we were, we are in Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17. Uh, I'm going to read that again. It says this, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. There are a shadow. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let's pray. God, my Father, um, God, we, um, we really don't deserve your mercy and grace, but God, you grant it, and we, thank, we are thankful for it. And God, we ask, Lord, that you'll bestow it upon us right now. Um, God, I pray, Lord, that you will grant me uh, the words to speak. I know that I know that they are um, useless without your power, but God, in your truth and might, Father, that they are the most powerful thing. And uh, and I know that, that that your words can can revive a dead heart and um, a broken spirit, Father. God, I pray, Lord, that that um, that you would have your way with us tonight. God, we love you and we thank you. It's all in Christ's name. We pray. Amen. Uh, worst food in Oregon restaurant. That's the name of it. Worst food in Oregon. And and here their slogan to the worst food in Oregon is worst food you ever ate and the service is even worse. And for some reason, people just keep on coming. You know, it's, it's a catch. It's a draw. And, uh, and when you ask the chef what he recommends... Uh, he'll say this with a twinkle in his eye. He'll tell you to take your money and take it to another restaurant down the road. And yet people still come back for more. It's something about how self-denial you know, self or self-depreciation, it, it can actually be a cover-up for self-promotion, for pride. And, and, and many times uh, in our Christian walk um, that, that, that we can kind of get caught up in that, uh, what, what we would call legalism, the, the fact that, that we try to um, deny ourselves and to do certain things or not to do certain things and in order to um, attain a certain standard. The Colossian church, they were troubled. This, this Colossian church, they were troubled by false prophets and, and, and maybe bad teachers. They just did not understand. They had an imperfect knowledge of uh, both grace and redemption and the finished work of Christ. They were, they were slaves to the letter of the law, you could say. And we call that legalism. Uh, in fact, the nation of Israel had many requirements. Not just the Ten Commandments. Uh, they had many commands and they had the sacrificial system. Uh, they had ceremonial cleansings. Uh, they had kosher laws that could you know, tell them what they could and could not eat. They had festivals and they had rituals that would serve really as shadows of what was to come. In fact, many of the leaders of the nation of Israel, they came up with you know, these, these many more ways to, um, to separate themselves from others. By making the law that they were given even more stringent. To, to, to add to the law. You know, if there was questions about it, that they would make it as stringent as possible. 
like, for instance, straining the gnats because they, they weren't supposed to eat a certain type of insect. And so, so before they drank their water, that they would take the cloth and that they would make sure that there wasn't even any, any bug, insect, larva that would pass through it to strain the gnats, that, that they would do uh, things like because of the Sabbath that they weren't, weren't even allowed to walk on the grass because of the extra labor. This could serve, these, this could serve as a way to show how much holier than they were. They could separate themselves from each other. That, you know, it was a way of pride, you know, that I deny myself and, and that, that I'm, you know, that now because I deny myself more than you deny yourself or, or that I do, I keep the law better than you keep the law, that that, that means that I'm holier than you. It, uh, it leads, of course, to self-righteousness. Legalism really can, can boil down to a list of do's and don'ts. And, and look, look, don't get me wrong, okay? There are definitely some things that Christians should partake of and things that they should not partake of. But these things, as we deny ourselves, don't, they don't make us holy. And so, so Paul says, don't let anyone put you under legalism or trying to make yourself acceptable to God on, on the basis of externalities, on the external. Um, by keeping certain laws or rituals, he says, in fact, in Ephesians 1, 6, that God made us accepted in the beloved. And, and what he's, who he's talking about, the beloved, Christ, that he made us acceptable. So legalism is actually bondage. It, it holds you captive because you think that you can attain to a certain standard and you'll never be able to attain to that standard. So now that you're free in Christ, basically the question is, why would you want to be enslaved again now that you're free? Uh, in Galatians 4, 9, Peter called such a bondage, well, excuse me, in Acts 15, 10, a yoke upon the neck. That's what legalism is. It's trying to attain to, to not just the law, but this set of standards that, that now the nation of Israel, the Pharisees have laid upon them. If keeping the law, listen to this question. I found this one. If keeping the law cannot make us spiritual before we received Christ as our fully efficient Savior, why do we think that keeping the law can make us spiritual after we become believers? Or as Paul phrased it this way, are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit it's something that he has done inside of you. That you've begun by the Spirit. Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Is what he says in Galatians 3.3. Self-righteous people, they don't need a Savior, do they? Or at least they don't think they need one. And so, so legalism, it binds us. Because we're, we're chasing after something that we'll never be able to attain to. Why was the law set against us in the first place? And we talked about this last week. Because we could not keep it. As James teaches, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he's become guilty of it all. So we're all guilty, aren't we? James 2.10. God says that cursed is everyone who does not abide 
by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Galatians 3.10. And then, you know, we see that the curse is death so that we have to die. But Jesus took on flesh and blood and redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become the curse for us. He became our curse. You know, he, he became sin so that we could become righteousness. That, that, is that, that is that great transfer. In light of what Christ has done on Calvary, the Colossians were to let no one judge their standing before God on the basis of their observance or their non-observance of these regulations, of this Mosaic law. They, he was telling them, don't let anybody judge you based on that. Now, now look, that doesn't mean that they're not to be judged within the church. Okay? We, we know that, that there is a right and a wrong way to judge within the church. Okay? And we'll get to that in a minute. But here, he's saying, based on um, standing before God, the salvation of, uh, that, that don't let them, don't let them, um, judge you based on your observance or non-observance of the regulations of this Mosaic law. In such matters, the principle of Christian liberty would come into play. Is that there are definitely some things that as we read in the scripture that, that there are things that, um, well, I'll, I'll just say it like this. Um, there are certain things that, that, um, that I have convictions about that, that I wouldn't um, say from this pulpit. Uh, and and what, I mean, what I mean by that is I wouldn't push that on you. Because to be honest, there's certain convictions that I have that I can't just spell out in this book. That by reading the book, I feel like that this is something that I can't partake of or that I need to do. Does that make sense? But that I can't, I can't go to a verse and say, hey, Mike, you can't do this because here it is in the Bible that says you can't do this. Okay? I can't do that. You know, but there are, there are personal convictions that, that I know that I need to hold true to, but that I don't feel comfortable pushing off on my church family, to be honest. You know, and so, so here... Um, it says, let no one act as a judge. The false teachers were at this time in the church of Colossae. They were judging the saints, apparently, and passing judgment on whether they were truly spiritual or not. You know, and that these false teachers were using non-biblical criteria. That's the key. Is that what they were doing by judging the saints is they were using things that weren't biblical to judge the saints. Uh, is this saying that we do not judge within the church? No, that's not what it's saying. Um, we should judge and judge rightly. That's what Matthew 7 is about. It's, you know, people want to quote that all the time about, you know, uh, you know that, that we're not to judge based on, you know, the one verse of scripture, uh, judge not lest you be judged. But then he goes on to explain how to judge, how to judge correctly. That, that if, we, if we see our brother with, you know, a speck in his eye, that, that we're, we're, are we not to go remove the speck? It doesn't say that. It says remove the hog first, then go remove the speck. 
So, so what he's saying, don't be a hypocrite about it. Don't, don't go to someone, your brother, and you've got, and, you, and you're not dealing with your own sin. That, that, that you've got to be able to go to your brother, your sister in Christ. And, and that that's what it should be about, that, that we should judge correctly. What should we be judged on and judge other believers on? I believe sin, outright sin. You see your brother or sister in Christ in sin, then it is loving to go to them. And, and, and fruit, that we want to see fruit, you know, uh, in the lives of our brothers and sisters. What should we not judge others on or be judged on? Well, Paul tells us right here. Food and drink, special days, for instance, like festivals and new moons and a Sabbath, it says. So food and drink. Under the Mosaic law, certain foods were classified as clean or unclean. Uh, this is the law regarding the animal, the bird, every living thing, that you know, things in the water, everything that swar swarms on earth, that they were making a distinction between clean and unclean and, and what they could eat and what they couldn't eat. Leviticus 11, 46 and 47. In fact, many saints today and, and many, many professing believers today practice uh, giving up pleasurable activities Certain foods, you know, we see Lent, 40 days of Lent, um, you know, uh, Jews with, with what they call the kosher kitchen and special clothing that they wear. And, you know, some groups abstain from things like tea and coffee. And so there, there's, there's these things that, that uh, some people might be convicted of to, to, to either take part in or not take part in. Here's what Spurgeon says about this scripture. He says, do not let anybody come in and tell you that it's necessary for your salvation that you should abstain from this meat or that drink, that there is a merit in fasting for 40 days in Lent, or that you cannot be saved without observing such and such a holy day. Your salvation is in Christ. Keep you to that and add nothing to this one foundation, which is once for all laid in him. Do not put yourself under the bondage of any rules and regulations that may be made by men. If you choose to do anything or abstain from, any, uh, from something else because you judge it to be right and beneficial, then do so. So he's saying if you, if you do feel convicted, then go with those convictions to abstain from certain things. But understand this, Christ is your only ruler and leader. He is it. And he is the only way to salvation. And, and, and look, that does not mean that, that we get a pass. It's, it's not talking about the, the direct commands of God. The, the, what he's discussing here um, is that the direct commands of God is that we are to follow him. And, and, that, and that really, to be honest with you, that as we follow, as we bear fruit, as we show a repentant life, that, that it proves it doesn't, you know, it's not that that work <laughs> saves us, but it is that that work proves our faith in it. And so, so there, is a, there is a connection between the works that we do and the faith that we have. But it is not that the work that we do is the thing that 
brings us salvation. And so, so here, Paul warns about foods in his letter to the saints at Rome. He writes this, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For in because of food your brother's hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food uh, him for whom Christ died. And so, so we're supposed to be very conscious of uh, our brothers and sisters, you know, maybe their weaknesses, of uh, their, what they have convictions on. And, and we are also, though, it says this in verse 20 of that same chapter. Do not forsake of food, destroy the work of God. Indeed, it, everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. We're supposed to be very, um, you know, when, when I think about the brothers and sisters in the faith, we're supposed to be very conscious of that as well. The false philosophers were saying, you can only, you know, here in Colossian, in Colossae, that you can only eat and drink certain things if you want to be really spiritual. And, and, you know, Tony kind of uh, was, was headed that direction this morning um, that where, where we see, you know, he wasn't going there with food, but with just so many things that we see within the church today of, that, you know, you've got to do this in order to be saved. You know, he mentioned uh, the groups that say you've got to speak in tongues in order to be saved. And so that there, there are those things that we have to watch out for today uh, that add to uh, what is what is clearly stated over and over again, what is demonstrated faith. What does it mean as we confess and believe, you know, that, that Jesus is Lord uh, and Savior of our lives. So here, Leviticus 11, it describes that. You know, I mentioned that. It, it's, it shows this separation. The law had a definite purpose for the Israelites, though. As, as there was... There was more to it than you know all these uh, the ceremonies and and the um, and and the kosher laws of what they could and couldn't eat. It was to separate them from other nations. That was a part. That was one of the purposes behind it. The law also probably had them eat. And I've read this before. You know, in research that there's some people who believe that that it was it was really to eat certain things for nourishment, like certain uh, as far as their dietary. You know that that that, that was what uh, that that he was separating them for and telling them to eat certain things. The Israelites couldn't even associate with people of other nations because their diet was so different. Now, the following scripture, though, that I'm going to read is what Christ says about it in, in the New Testament, what it says about these dietary laws. Okay? So in Mark 7, 14 through 16, it says it like this. So, you know, those, those were the dietary laws, Old Testament, for the, for the children of Israel. But listen what, what it says here. There is nothing outside the man which going into him can defile him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defiles the man. Boy, Jesus was all about what's inside him. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. In Acts 10 and 1, it, re it reiterates this, uh, this principle. Peter, 
And you know, he sees this, had this vision of the unclean foods that showed him that there was nothing any longer that you could, that you could or could not eat. Um, and then Acts 15, 1. In Acts 15, you, we see this Jerusalem council. And, and they concluded that there was no longer anything unclean and food had nothing to do with our standing with the Lord. And then in Romans 14, 17 and 18, it says it like this, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who, who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So there was a change, wasn't there? There was a change from that old covenant with the nation of Israel to this new covenant. And, and that was one of the things that I believe, you know, as we talked about last week, that was nailed to the cross. That was ended. And, and so here, John MacArthur, he says it like this about this passage that we're in. He said, Paul is talking about, what he's talking about is external religion. What he's talking about here is ceremony and ritual. Okay? Uh, you see, they wanted to sit in judgment on people as to what they ate. Right? They were judging what they were judging them, you know, were they kosher or not in their diet? Uh, did they observe the appropriate festivals? Did they maintain the Sabbath day? And then those special moon Sabbaths. That was that was their issue. Rituals. Did they bow down? Did they participate in mass? Did they light the candles? Did they fast? Did they go through ceremonial washings? Do they participate in rites and duties and behaviors that are intended somehow mechanically? And I want you to think about this because you say, well, this doesn't affect me, but stay with me. Mechanically to convey some kind of divine connection. Because that's what right, is supposed to do, connect us. And Paul says, don't get led astray by that. Don't think for, and this is paraphrasing, this is John MacArthur paraphrasing what Paul says. Don't get led astray by that. Don't think for a minute that some external activity, some external event in which you participate is necessary. The Jews were even saying that if you're a Christian, we talked about this last time, God's not going to accept you even though you believe in his son unless you're circumcised. That's what they were basically saying. You're not going to be accepted unless you're circumcised. That external, that, that, that word, this, this ceremony, this ritual. And Paul in other places basically, you know, he says, forget circumcision. That had a place in the past. That was a, it was a picture. That's what he was saying. It was a shadow. Circumcision was a shadow of what's to come. Sabbath had a place. It was showing you something to come. Did y'all know that about the Sabbath? It was showing, it was a shadow. Dietary laws had a place. They separated you from nations. Aren't we supposed to be a separated people today? That you can, that you can obviously see a difference between believers and non-believers. But is it based on what we eat now? Or is it something else? Is it, is it based on the spiritual food that we eat? Right? They have a place. They were a shadow to protect you from the intrusion of their false religious systems, to separate from nations. All that God gave you had a place of protecting, preserving you, 
and depicting the reality to come, but the reality is here, MacArthur says. What's the reality? The substance. If, if, if all these, these ceremonies and all these festivals and all these, you know, the, the new moons and the Sabbath and the dietary laws, if they're a shadow of what's to come, the sacrificial system is a shadow, the high priest is a shadow, the, the sacrificial lamb is a shadow, then what's the substance? Christ. And He's come. It's the new covenant. He's, he's already come. He's here. So here, so that's what he's, he's getting to. That's the meat of this, is that, is that all those things were, they were shadows of, of what's to come and that they're, they're no longer needed because the substance is here. Amen. Special days also that we see not just food and drink, but, but don't judge me on special days. Don't judge me on new moons and festivals and Sabbaths. All Jewish males were required, were required to attend Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, but there was no such stipulation under the new covenant. What are we required of? Do not forsake the assembling of the saints. And, and even that, there's, is there room? There's a lot of room for what I feel convicted of is not forsaking the assembly to maybe what you feel convicted of. To be honest. Isn't there? But we're not supposed to forsake it. And so I hope that all of us take that so seriously. That you are honest with yourself. Do you forsake the assembling of the saints? Because to be honest, that's not just talking about not walking through those doors. You can be sitting in a seat right now forsaking the assembly. Couldn't you? Because your, your body may be, may be here, but guess what? Could I, could I say that I might be forsaking the assembly if my mind's not? If my heart's not, you could be sitting in that seat right now and disobeying God's command to not forsake this assembly. But they were all supposed to go to these things. It's not that we can't have special days. It's not that we can't have special diets and, and, and fast and, and, and give up things for God. But here's the thing that we should remember is that we should not believe that these things make us more holy. Don't, don't do them to impress men. Do them to please God. Do them to please God. The Sabbath was um, nightfall on Friday to nightfall on Saturday. And the Sabbath is to rest. To rest. Over the time, the Sabbath laws became very stringent. I mentioned one of them earlier about not walking on the grass. That was added to, right? And, and the Pharisees added all kinds of things to it. And it lost the reason behind the Sabbath. It was for man to rest. There is much debate and confusion over the Sabbath today. And many people falsely assume that Sunday is the Sabbath. And it's not. The Sabbath 
night down Friday, the night down on Saturday. The Sunday is the Lord's Day, we call it. It's the day that we gather. Why? Because that's the day that Jesus was resurrected from the grave. But it's not the Sabbath. John MacArthur, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tell you what, what he says about it, okay? Because uh, to be honest, you know, with me, um, you know, I've, you know I, I grew up, you know, uh, thinking that it was the Sabbath. And, and, um, and, and I feel like I had a lot of false assumptions myself, like a lot of people do. And, um, but but I want, I'm just going to share with y'all, and y'all can take this how you want it, and I can send this to you if you want to study it. Because you might have never really thought too hard on this. But this is what he says. We believe the Old Testament regulations governing Sabbath observances are ceremonial, not moral. Aspects of the law. As such, they are no longer in force. They have passed away with the sacrificial system. The Levitical priesthood and all other aspects of Moses' law that prefigured Christ. Here are the reasons. So he's going to give 12. And I'm just going to work. I'm just going to go through them pretty quick. And like I said, you can, you can, you know, if you want me to send this to you, I'll send it to you. You can kind of work through them on your own. Number one, in, in our verse that we're in, Colossians 2, 16 and 17, Paul explicitly refers to the Sabbath as a shadow of Christ, which is no longer binding since the substance Christ has come. It is quite clear in those verses that the weekly Sabbath is in view. The phrase a festival or new moon or a Sabbath day refers to annual, monthly, and weekly holy days of the Jewish calendar. And it, it gives a list of scripture references. If Paul were referring to special ceremonial dates of rest uh, in, in the passage, so some, some people have argued that, okay? So there is an argument there that when he's saying Sabbath, he's, He's talking about these special days of rest that he's not specifically talking about the Sabbath day, Friday, sundown, Saturday, sundown. But MacArthur has a good question on that. If he's saying that, he says, why would he have used the word Sabbath after he had already mentioned the ceremonial dates when he already spoke of the festivals and new moon? So he says festivals and new moon, and then he says Sabbath. So if he's talking about what they were, what the argument is, is that the Sabbath is talking about those special festivals, new moon, but it's separate. So I think he makes a really good point. Number two, the Sabbath was the sign to Israel of the Mosaic covenant. And he gives reference, scripture references. Since we are now under the new covenant, Hebrews 8, we are no longer required to observe the sign of the Mosaic covenant. Number three reason, the New Testament never commands Christians to observe the Sabbath. Now, it talks about the Pharisees talking about it, but we never see Jesus. We never see one of the apostles tell a Christian to observe the Sabbath. Never a command from them. Always, we see it in these verses that, that, the, that he's saying that don't judge me on Sabbath. Number four, in our only glimpse of an early church worship service in the New Testament, the church met on the first day of the week. Acts 27, when did we meet? First day of the week. When's the first day of the week? Sunday. For the seventh day is the Sabbath. 
Saturday. Number five, nowhere in the Old Testament are the Gentile nations commanded to observe the Sabbath or condemned for failing to do so. That is certainly strange if Sabbath observance were meant to be an eternal moral principle. It was only for Israel. Number six, there's no evidence in the Bible of anyone keeping the Sabbath before the time of Moses, nor are there any commands in the Bible to keep the Sabbath before the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. Number seven, when the apostles met at Jerusalem Council, Acts 15, they did not impose Sabbath keeping on the Gentile believers. They imposed certain things, not that one. Number eight, the apostle Paul warned the Gentiles about many different sins in his epistles, but breaking the Sabbath. Think about all the sins that Paul talks about. What does he never mention as a sin? Breaking the Sabbath. In Galatians 4, 10, and 11, Paul rebukes the Galatians for thinking God expected them to observe special days, including what? The Sabbath. Number 10, Romans 15, 14, 15. Paul forbids those who observe the Sabbath, these who no doubt Jewish believers, to condemn those who do not. That's what he's telling them. He's forbidding them. To condemn. If this was sinful, why would he, if, if it was sinful for people to uh, not observe the Sabbath, why would he tell Jewish believers not to condemn them? Wouldn't they need to? Paul was all about condemning sin, wasn't he? Number 11. The early church fathers from Ignatius to Augustine taught that the Old Testament Sabbath had been abolished and that the first day of the week, Sunday, was the day when Christians should meet for worship. Contrary to the claim of many Seventh-day Adventists who claim that Sunday worship was not instituted until the 4th century. So it's early church fathers that we see that were saying the same thing. That, that maybe somewhere along the way we got miseducated, misinformed on what this is. Number 12, Sunday has not replaced Saturday as the Sabbath. Rather, the Lord's Day, this is the Lord's Day that we're on, that we meet on. And, and we have precedent that the early saints met on Sunday, Resurrection Day. That is, but it's not the Sabbath. Rather, the Lord's Day is a time when believers gather to commemorate his resurrection, which occurred on the first day of the week every day. Listen to this. this to me, this is what, what wins it for me. Every day to the believer is one of Sabbath rest. But it's not the same type of rest that it was a shadow rest. But what are we to rest in now? What are we, the church, supposed to rest in now? In our beds? Well, yeah, at night. But what is our true rest? What is our spiritual rest? Him. Are we supposed to do that one day a week? Friday night to Saturday Friday night to Saturday night? Just rest from Friday night to Saturday night? No. When are we supposed to rest in Christ Almighty? Every day. Every day is the Sabbath day for us. Why? Because He is our rest. There's no longer a Sabbath. Not a day. Don't judge me on a day. The Sabbath is Him. He's the substance. He's the reason why they did it before. Anyway, it's a foreshadow of your true rest. He's a foreshadow. It was all a foreshadow of him. Every day. 
since we have ceased from our spiritual labor and are resting in the salvation from the Lord. So while we still follow the, the pattern of designating one day of the week where we gather together as the Lord's people, and, and, and yes, I have been guilty of referring to it, but not in a while, as the Sabbath day. But I've been guilty of calling it the Sabbath day. Just because, you know, I mean, that's just, it's, it's kind of a cultural thing, to be honest. It's the Lord's day, though. And every day is a true Sabbath. But he also says, don't judge me on festivals or the new moon. The feast that are listed, these festivals in Leviticus 23, 2, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, the Lord's appointed times, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations, my appointed times are these, Sabbath, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, weeks, atonement, booths. They were supposed to meet together. And all these things were symbolic. They were shadows as well, these festivals. Paul teaches that the shadow of the feast has become the substance that is Christ. Christ, he calls, is our Passover. He's our Passover lamb. Jesus is the one to whom all the Old Testament feasts pointed to, and it's one of, the, one of the coolest things that you can study is these Old Testament feasts. You can study the Passover, and it points all directly to Christ. Festivals were celebration times pointing to what God had done and to what he was going to do to deliver the children of Israel from their bondage. Today, there is no specific day but in fact, we should celebrate Christ every moment of our life because he is the embodiment of all of these things. The new moon. Don't judge me on new moons. Um, this, is, this is when they would uh, offer up sacrifices. They were given on Sabbaths, the new moons, and these um, festivals. Here's what God thinks about keeping the new moon without obedience, like from the heart. So what does he say about that? And, and just, just keeping it out of this mechanical, uh, this more of ritual type of worship. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 1.13. And, and this is what I want you to imagine this is, okay, I know that back then they were, they were offering, offering sacrifices and they, were, and they were going on the new moons. But I want you to think about what you got in your vehicle to come do tonight. We could call it a sacrifice of worship. Or a sacrifice of our time to go spend with, with God. Imagine him telling you this same thing with this same kind of heart behind it. Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feast. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. What if he says that about our heart behind our worship? You may say, I'm not part of a cult that does this type of thing. That, that, that tries to say you've got to do all these things to, to, to get salvation. This message isn't for me. I don't practice legalism or ritualism. I know that Christ is my Savior. But let me ask you, is he your substance? 
Is he, is he everything to you? You know, um, I, I saw this when I was um, studying it. It was, it was talking about this man who he's got these pictures up in his house and he keeps the pictures of his family, you know, all around his house and in his wallet. Wouldn't it be strange if, uh, if the man, if it, I'll, I'll use me, but if I, if I had these pictures of my wife and kids all up around the house and in my wallet, if I, if I talked to them, to the pictures, instead of my wife and kids, if I neglected them, but I'm sitting here having conversations with those pictures, and I think I was crazy first, but also that I was trying to have a relationship but that relationship was with something that was never meant to have a relationship with. It was just a shadow. It was a shadow of the real substance. You call me crazy if I'm talking to a picture instead of my daughter. But is that what we do? Are, are we missing out on what the true substance is that we come here for? So let me ask you this. How do we do with ritualism? Do we mouth words to songs of praise? Or as we sing them, do we sing them with our heart? Or do we just mouth it? Does it become a ritual? Do we mindlessly say amen after we really weren't even paying attention to the prayer and we weren't praying to? Do we drift off while appearing to be paying attention when the preacher's preaching? Do we throw in our time and spend a couple hours, you know, almost like punching the clock as we come to church? You know, I did my time, now I can go. And do we remember all the sacrificial system that we've been talking about? That it all points to Jesus Christ who became a sacrifice for us. That he reconciled us by the blood of his cross and he nailed these decrees to his cross. So how do Christians now, how do we sacrifice and how do we celebrate? In Romans 12, 1, you know, it talks about like what our reasonable service, our service is, is, is how we live. That's what worship is. Like what is worship? It's how you live. It's your lifestyle. It is your life itself is your worship. Colossians 2, 17, that the last verse that, that Russ uh, said tonight, these are a shadow. The new moons, the, the festivals, the Sabbath, the, the sacrificial system even. And these are all a shadow. The food and drinks, those kosher laws, they're a shadow of the true substance because it says the true substance belongs to Christ. So He is our everything. What's your, true, what's your true food and drink? He is our bread. He is our wine. He is, a, he is the fountain of living water. He is the substance. That is the food. He is the water. He is the quenching of our thirst. He is, he's the light. You know, as they, as they you know, have these feasts and they, and they would light the candles and Jesus said to him, I'm the light of the world. He's the sacrificial lamb. He is the Passover lamb. He is both the Passover lamb and the high priest. 
And he is our rest. He is our Sabbath. And he is also our righteousness. He is the atonement for your sins. That's who he is. He is all of it. He's the true substance. Are you, are you putting your energy into rituals are you focused your attention on the only one that can save you? Where, where does your heart belong tonight? You know, and, and, and maybe for most everybody in here, maybe all, hopefully all, that this serves more as a reminder. Uh, but if not, if, if, you, if, if God is wrestling with you tonight, if he has opened your eyes to truth tonight, that you need to repent of your sins, that you need to trust in him, that you have put your hope in the things of this world, that you put your hope in works, if you put your hope in, in you know, more, more about how, like what your performance is rather than what he did on the cross, his finished work, then you have put your faith in the wrong thing. Put your faith tonight in Jesus Christ. Him alone. Trust in him alone. Uh, if I can have the musicians to come and I'm going to pray and, and the altar is, is definitely open uh, to come and pray. Um, let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray and we will close. Uh, God, my Father, I thank you, Lord, once again uh, for this church family. And, and God, I, I pray, Lord, that um, what I spoke tonight was clear and concise. I know that, um, that there's a lot of things that, that may be confusing about. Um, this scripture, this passage, uh, maybe, maybe because of my fault, or may, maybe just because of um, our our own bias, or or because of just the way the traditional things that we've always thought about uh, church and about about these issues, Father. That um, that maybe we just had a misunderstanding. God, I pray, Lord, you'll clear all that up. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will clear all all that up with each one of us, Father, and that your truth would reign. Uh, because it doesn't matter about, um, about, about our opinion. It doesn't matter about our tradition, Father. It matters about your truth. And God, we want to be as close to biblically accurate as we can be for you, Father. Because you deserve it. You deserve us to, to be in your truth and to, and to do things your way. God, we love you. We thank you so much. We ask, Lord, that you'll forgive us where we fail you. It's all in Christ's name we pray. Amen.